Good morning, Agile Nation. This is another episode of A Beginner's Guide. It's been, uh, been a minute. We've been doing a lot of travel the last few weeks, a little bit of personal travel and then a little bit of business travel. Uh, we were down in Atlanta uh, for the Private Wealth Forum, uh, which was a great success. We had a really good time down there. And then last week, as many of you knew, know, um, was Hedge Eye Live uh, in Stanford, Connecticut. So another phenomenal weekend with the power users from Hedge Eye. Highly encourage. Uh, you to try to make it for next year. It's our premier event. It's a phenomenal event. Um, and, and really, you know, the, the guests are phenomenal and then the attendees are phenomenal and the conversations that one has with, uh, with everyone is, uh, is, is well, well worth, uh, the trip and the expense. And it's certainly, uh, being there for two years in a row, uh, the first annual one. And then the second one around, um, I could tell you it's, uh, it's an absolutely, uh, you know, life-changing moments, um, across the board. But uh, today we are here to get into beginner's guides. So uh, Seltzer, I got my man Seltz on the switch. Why don't we jump into the fundamentals? Exactly. Look at him. He's uh, he's killing it. Uh, so if we just, uh, just to, to review, like we always do, um, and if you're new to the show, we're going to kind of uh, um, um, discuss a few questions from Hedge Nation. So uh, that's kind of the core concept here. But uh, why don't we jump into the fundamentals? Uh, let's preserve, protect, and compound. And in that order, we have to preserve, protect, and compound um, our hard-earned assets. And we do so. One of the biggest pieces of that puzzle is uh, position sizing and doing so on a volatility-adjusted basis. Uh, so again, we preserve, protect, and compound our, our hard-earned assets and, and protect them and preserve them by volatility-adjusting or position sizing by asset class. So you've got uh, foreign currency, fixed income, equities, commodities, options, and individual securities. Uh, again, these are all max position sizing depending on the volatility. Uh, for instance, fixed income at the moment is not a max 10% position size because the move index is up at, uh, I think it was closed around 125 today. Sorry, I was on the wrong page. Yeah, it closed at 125 um, uh, around that yesterday. So um, this is where that is bringing your, 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 Max uh, fixed income down to about a 6% position. Again, depending on the individual uh, fixed income, some have a higher volatility than others, like a longer duration bond, like an EDV would have a smaller um, max position sizing than something like an IEF or an SHY, right? Because it's a shorter end, less, traditionally less volatility. Uh, but again, my whole point here is that your volatility adjusting these position sizing. So uh, these are the max positions um, in a, you know, kind of more traditional uh, uh, volatility environment. So foreign currency, 12%, fixed income, 10 equities, six commodities, four and options in individual securities, somewhere between one and 2%. Um, on the flip side of that, and if you can go long short, your short book is going to be half of whatever your max position is on the long side. So again, your long equities on a max, um, at 6%, your max short is going to be three. And then you, you really want to make sure that you're defining your, your maxes, your mids, and your minimums. All right. And you got to remember, it's not just about the, the max longs, right? You also, if you do manage a long short book, you have to make sure you're defining your max, your mid, and your mins on both the long and the short side. So your shorts are going to always be 50% of your longs for whatever uh, asset class you're having. The example here is in the equity side of, of the house. Uh, so your max is 6% in terms of on the long 
long side, short's going to be three. Your mid is four um, on the long side. Your mid short is two. And your minimum is two on the long side, one on the short side. So again, this is all going to kind of be volatility adjusted in a higher volatility environment. These max long positions are going to decrease, right, on the equity side of things. So at a VIX 32, 35, what have you, right? So back up in the F bucket north of 29, those max long equity volatilities are going to, are going to shrink. Um, and conversely, and, and that really goes across the board, right? So say, and conversely, your, your shorts are kind of going to kind of shrink in, in, um, in conjunction as well. So if you're, again, if your max, uh, on the long side and kind of goes down to a 4% position, then your max on the short side is going to be two, right? So it's very much, uh, in that order, kind of 50% of your, of your longs are going to be your shorts. And, and again, if you're long only account, you really need to be conscientious of the volatility of each asset class that's in your portfolio. Um, I've said this many times before, you can go look at prior beginner's guides, but a great one that you can have up on your screen, uh, would be either realize or implied volatility. So you can kind of create your own little buckets there from a, you know, let's just say realized volatility standpoint, look at a 30-day historical look back and uh, and put it into tranches, right? So uh, this is actually a subject matter at Hedge Eye Live. A couple of folks were kind of um, asked me about it. And, and again, it really kind of depends on the risk tolerance that you have inside of your own portfolio and what you're trying to achieve. But let's just say, you know, put it in the buckets, right? So realized vol under 30, you know, you can have a more traditional max, you know, um, exposure between 30 and 60, you're going to kind of decrease that by 50 to 100 basis points, again, depending on your risk tolerance. Um, north of 60, I realize it's something, you know, a piece of equity that, or asset class that has, I realize vol north of 60, that's going to come down, you know, by 150 to 200 basis points. So again, this is kind of like, it's all very uh, personal and you have to understand what you're trying to accomplish and really focus in on the central goals first and then the aspirational goals, right? So uh, aspirational. And so, but at, at the end of the day, it's all about preserving, protecting, and compounding your hard-earned assets. And with that, that let's um, roll into some questions. Hi, I'm Keith McCullough, and I wanted to introduce you to my favorite product at Hedgeye, the Macro Show. Why is it my favorite product? Well, it's my show. I do that every morning. If you want to get ready for the market day, you want to contextualize all the data, you want to make good decisions, then this is what you should be watching. It's a repeat process that you can deliberately study, measuring and mapping time series to time series of data. So it's not going headline to headline and getting whipped around. It's actually being so much more dispassionate about it and making good decisions that are data driven. So we'd love to have you on our team. Come join us. Tune in weekdays at 9 a.m. Eastern and on demand anytime. Go to hedgeye.com slash research to subscribe. So the first question of uh, of, of the day here, uh, where are we on the sign curve of the full investing cycle? Next up, we're going to get into how price volume and volatility influence the risk ranges. And then lastly, you know, just a, um, this was something that I was actually... There wasn't a specific question about incorporating longer-term investment horizons, but, you know, I was kind of perusing the arena last night and this is sort of a, I thought a, a kind of a key theme that folks are struggling with and and uh, certainly was something that we were discussing at Hedge Eye Live as well kind of that longer term horizon uh, but if we go into uh, slide five there Seltz we go right into question one uh, where are we on the side and curve of the full investing cycle so this is a good question. I mean, it's a little bit broad of a question, uh, but and and I know Keith on on the macro show before he's he's put it in there as sort of um, you know 
a third of the way or so, maybe two thirds. I mean, we certainly do call it the phase three of the bear market. So if you go to that next slide, slide six there, uh, Celts, this is actually from the uh, macro themes deck that we uh, put out um, at the end of, or kind of going into Q2. Um, you know, if you're not a macro pro subscriber, we're actually doing um, an updated version, a Q2 uh, mid-quarter update on uh, Wednesday this uh, of next week. So make sure that uh, you either... Um, uh, kind of that's for micro pro subscribers. So if you're not a micro pro subscriber, just email support and we'll kind of get you hooked up there. But again, this is a phase three of the bear market. So, um, the analogy that we, uh, that we were using that and, and, and had tip to, uh, Mr. Christian Drake is the, the sinkhole is developing, right? So you've got uh, real income growth is negative. Savings are depleted. Consumer and corporate credit is contracting. CapEx is falling. External demand remains weak. Policy continues to tighten into a slowdown. The amount of dollars available is in outright contraction, while the amount of dollars needed to service multi-decade decade high credit growth is rising. And all of this is likely to feed forward in a self-reinforcing fashion. So again, you've got kind of the, the, the GDP and profit growth at the top there. Uh, you're seeing that coming out in earnings this uh, for Q1. Um, you know, this is uh, this is data. Uh, from the other day, but uh, you know, it, it, if you just look at the the triple Qs, seventy nine out of one hundred companies have reported plus four point four five percent sales uh, growth and negative nine point nine two percent earnings growth. Uh, so again, that's just on on kind of on um, on the triple Qs, but uh, but again, just gives you an idea as to you know sales growth is positive, but that earnings growth is not flowing down to the bottom line. So um, you know, there's a there's a sinkhole underneath, and as uh, these underlying conditions continue to manifest. You're, you're really going to, you know, you, you'll see this, the, the surface start to cave in on on itself. Um, so I think it's a phenomenal analogy from from Christian Drake. Uh, in terms of like where we are, I guess to to be a bit more specific on the sine curve. Um, you know, I think to me, I, I I go more towards like where the where are we on the like the quad outlook, right? So um, we just released our our Q1 of 24 numbers uh, the other day, I believe that was last week, um, and right now we've got a quad four in Q2, a quad one um, in Q3 of 23, a quad four in Q4, and a quad three in Q1 of 24. Uh, now, if you go kind of, um, you know, I know it's hard to zoom in those cells there, but you know, if, if, if you've seen this before, make sure you can kind of go look at those conditional probabilities. That's the kind of box. Yeah, there you go. Kind of box um, on the top right, right there, uh, right where it says all the conditional probabilities of quad one, two, three, four. Exactly. Uh, you did a great job. Awesome, man. You can just leave it there. That'll, that'll help them out a little bit. Uh, but that that Q2 or Q3, excuse me, I, I just really want to draw your attention there. Um, in terms of all these outlooks, you know, there is a, a lot of quote unquote coin flip uh, potentially happening as data starts to roll in. The only only one that's really uh, standing out with a high conditional probability is quad four and Q2 of this quarter. So um, this is where we're, we're kind of um, expecting or, or, or anticipating a, a potential kind of deep quad four here in this Q2 earnings season, which will get reported in the summertime, uh, kind of the, the the beginning of Q3, um, you're going to really see these numbers out of and, and companies have to report reality. Um, now, it doesn't mean that we're not going to get a, a quad one in Q3 as data kind of rolls in. But if you can, again, just to reiterate, it's about a 33% chance of quad one, about 25% chance of quad two, 
and I believe a 22% chance of quad four there in, in Q3. And then conversely, it's pretty much a coin flip almost across the board with a slight, um, with a, a slight, um, higher conditional probability of quad four in Q4. And then, uh, lastly, uh, in Q1 of next year, you know, kind of your two highest would be uh, quad three and quad four. Uh, but right now it's kind of leaning more towards a quad three. So again, we're going to kind of, this is all going to start to play out. Uh, the signal is going to help guide us in terms of, you know, where to, are the best places to, to allocate capital will be. And uh, that's the biggest thing, right? The signal trumps the quad, but these quad outlooks is really what we're seeing on the horizon. And it's a, and, and it has a high potential of being a really, um, challenging, you know, uh, next four quarters uh, for the U.S. Uh, again, you know, Coach mentioned this on the macro show on Tuesday, I believe it was, and he talked about GDP growth and and just where we are going with GDP growth and the fact that on a year over year basis we're basically uh, going between a one and a one and a half percent you know positive GDP uh, year over year growth. So um, it's kind of like a nothing burger as we go out there on the growth side and you know these numbers are really going to get kind of influenced on the inflationary front. But we've got that sticking um, you know from our most recent update. Let me pull it up here quickly. Um, believe we have it kind of sticking just around four or kind of uh, bottoming out around 3.6, I believe was the number. Sorry, I'm just kind of pulling it up on my side. Here you go. Uh, yeah, sorry. We're right around 4, 4% on our, we came up with updated numbers yesterday, uh, on Wednesday. So uh, for Q2, we're looking at inflation on a CPI, uh, head, US headline CPI year over year projections of 4.26%. And then really kind of sticking kind of between, you know, 4.18 and 4.15, 4.16 on the next three quarters out there. So I'd say kind of, you know, again, just just north of 4%. And on a, on a quarter over quarter um, US GDP standpoint, looking for a little bit more than a negative 2% number here in Q2 of 23 and that moving up to um, a little bit of of growth there in Q3 which is what's generating that quad one number of a plus four a little over four percent and then in Q4 um, positive Q over Q number of, of about two percent but as I mentioned that year over year projections is really going kind of hovering some you know around 1.4 to kind of 1.09 um, going out to from Q3 out to Q1 on a U.S. real GDP year over year basis. So um, just want to kind of highlight those things. I think it's really important uh, to make sure we, as you said, you understand where we are on the signing curve. Um, the next few, few quarters are certainly look challenging and, and this sinkhole could really come on and create uh, crater that surface at any point. Hi, Robert McGordy here, Director of Subscriber Development at Hedgeye. Join our entire research analyst team live before the market opens for deep dive investing analysis, our favorite stock ideas, and our risk manager in chief, Keith McCullough's macro overlay. Our team of 40 plus equity analysts discuss key market developments, trends, and our high conviction, long and short investing ideas. You will not get this granular level of insight anywhere else. A video replay, audio version, and analyst summary notes from the call are available shortly after each live show to ensure you don't miss anything. Go to hedgeye.com forward slash research to subscribe and tune in live to the call weekdays at 745 a.m. Eastern.
Enjoy the rest of this episode. Let's move on to uh, to Q2 or question two, excuse me, <laughs> not Q2. We are in Q2. Uh, question two, how does price volume volatility influence the risk range? That was kind of like my interpretation of this question, but to read it you know, fully, it's uh, Dave from Maryland. I see the VIX made a lower low, but a higher high in the risk range, but total market volume was down yesterday, 12%. What gives here? Thanks. Um, so just to kind of reiterate, this was from May 9th. So I do have a couple examples from that day. Uh, May 9th, VIX printed a, a big higher high and a lower low. Uh, but to answer your question, the VIX risk range is influenced by its vol of vol, um, as well as you know price and volume, obviously. But um, that that volume that you see here and that you're quoting really inf influences more the SPX risk range. So the S&P 500 risk range, um, the VIX influences that SPX risk range. And and uh, and and again, the all risk ranges incorporate price, volume, and volatility based on based on the prior day's close. Uh, so as you noted, if you pull up slide uh, 10 there, Celts, the volume from that day was down. So it was down 12% on a day-over-day -day basis, 15% on a one-month three and and uh, one-month average, excuse me, and 21% uh, negative on a three-month average. So from there, um, you know, if we kind of go look at, uh, you know, big takeaway here again, like you should be having. So if we go to slide 11 there, Celts, uh, you should have volume on your screen. Uh, so I circled kind of the the date and time. So that kind of far right hand edge of the circle there would be May May 9th. Uh, but just wanted to kind of show you again, I've got uh, the five day average volume at time. Uh, that's what is being shown in an indicator from trading view on the bottom there. Uh, again, that you could use, um, you know, the one month average if you wish, three month average, whatever you prefer. Um, but uh, that's certain. But that's what I use is the five five day average, and that helps. As you can see, it was you know was certainly you know below average volume on those up moves, kind of go leading into it, right? So uh, sorry. Yeah, so leading into May 9th, I should say. Uh, so those are up moves moving into uh, into May 9th, which is when um, this gentleman would have asked that question. It was Dave, I believe it was. Uh, then we would pull up slide 12 there. Uh, Celts, so you've got the volatility. So volatility uh, was down on the day-over-day -day basis, but up on a week-over-week -week basis. So again, in terms of, you know, if you're trying to, get short, I guess, of the market, you're going to want to see um, price up on weak volume on um, accelerating volatility, right? So uh, you want basically volatility to be kind of going up in price. And it's sort of what we had, uh, you know, if you kind of think about it on a week over week basis, right? We were up 90 basis points, uh, a little over five, you know, about five, 5.6% 5 on a week over week on a percentage change basis. And, and then, um, when we got that down move though, so if you go back to slot 11 there, Seltzer, um, you can see that that volume was weak. Uh, so on that down move there, that volume was weak, volume was weak, but volatility kind of decreased. So uh, coach was covering there the other day on Tuesday. And, you know, that could be one of many signals that he was seeing, um, but certainly something that, you know, hopefully you're picking up on your screen and, and, uh, and you're noticing. So this is, um, yeah, this is uh, important stuff here. And, and hopefully, you know, the risk ranges again, this, that's Keith's expertise, um, but this is my kind of uh, what I've learned over the years as we've gotten through here. Hi, Robert McGordy here, Director of Subscriber Development at Hedgeye. Hope you're enjoying our podcast. Start generating alpha with our suite of sector pro investing research products. Dive deep into retail, industrials, technology, and everything in between. 
with exclusive access to the sharpest analysts and actionable ideas on Wall Street. Go to hedgeye.com forward slash research to subscribe. Enjoy the rest of this episode. All right. And now let's move on to question number three, how to incorporate Hedgeye within a longer term investment horizon. So again, this was a, a question that I kind of just pieced together from certain tidbits on the arena last night, as well as from Hedgeye Live. Uh, ETF Pro, which is what I've highlighted here, certainly is um, you know a, a key longer term uh, you know um, uh, piece of the puzzle, right? I mean, we certainly consider ourselves, and and I know Keith has been talking about it a lot uh, within the early look and on the macro show, et cetera, et cetera, in terms of you know cycle to date. We don't necessarily you know need to track year to date or care about year to date. We want to, we care about cycle to date, um, and and the the you know, cycle to date in terms of gold, right? Dates all the way back to November of 2022. So the reason why I kind of highlighted that, and, and I know it's very challenging, it's hard to see, but if you've got the ETF Pro product, you you know that we publish, you know, the date added each and every week. Uh, you know, as I said, gold goes in, it goes back. Uh, if we kind of stick to just the long only side at the top there, gold goes back to November of 2022. And numerous are from March of 2023, including a big time outperformer in GDX. Right? So that's the long only side. We're adding to these uh, consistently uh, on the short side. Um, you know, those go back all the way to early last year. And so those are, you, again, um, you know, we're, we definitely consider ourselves uh, full cycle investors. Uh, the dollar just came off and that had also been on there since uh, the beginning of since Q1 of 2022. So we held that uh, for uh, about five quarters, I guess it was, um, you know, going into you know five and a half quarters. So we held the dollar for quite a while. There's a number of pieces of inventory that we have held for a long time and that I've seen. Uh, Keith and, and and us here at Hedgeye hold for a while, but at the same time, you know Keith does focus uh, primarily on the trade and trend duration. So it is a kind of momentum based type um, uh, investment style, and is not a buy and hold you know type of style, regardless of the quad. Right? Because as I mentioned a few minutes ago, the signal trumps the quad. And just because something traditionally backtests well inside of a quad um, doesn't mean that that necessarily gets put into the portfolio and will be there regardless of the signal. The signal will guide us and guide the uh, asset allocation that we need to have within each and every quad. Um, so, you know, with that said, though, David Salem, who joined us back in February of 2023, uh, he will focus on a bit, you know, on more of a trend and tail duration. Uh, and so that, so again, so we are kind of beefing up the, um, the, the teammates in-house in terms of kind of bringing different uh, investment styles and, and investment focuses uh, to light. So we are, you know, we do have that in the pipeline. We're hoping to get David's product out there for called uh, Cap Allocation Pro uh, in kind of Q3 here of 23. But, uh, you know, we are still working through what that's going to look like and what kind of del deliverables will be um, will be coming out from David. At this, but if we kind of go back to what we have today in terms of, of, terms of, of what Keith does and and how one can uh, deploy and, and leverage our tools for kind of a, a I guess, more traditional, but, you know, buy and hold type format. Uh, the key is to, you know, the, the best one to leverage is ETF Pro, right? And, and those are kind of the best signals, as I've, I think I've said this before on here, is that ETF Pro is like taking all of the different hunting ground across the world and narrowing it down to the, the top top pieces of inventory or the top, you know, hunting grounds and the ones with the best signals. So the ones with the best um, opportunities uh, for, um, 
uh, I guess to, to kill something. <laughs> I don't know if I love this analogy, but regardless, the my point is is that it really helps you narrow down on the things that are are working. But at the same time, if something breaks, you know, trade or certainly breaks trend, you know, trend is the you know stop loss for Keith. So that means if it breaks trend, it's going to be out. Uh, and some things that get added, you know, basically are bullish trade and move above trend. And Keith, you know, is hoping or anticipating that they will maintain the, that trend momentum and maintain that trend. But, you know, if you get frustrated that he boots something very quickly or shortly thereafter, it's because it fails there. It basically was a head fake, you know, it moved above trend. He thought it was, you know, gaining trend momentum and, uh, but it failed. And therefore it's, uh, you know, it's a rules-based process oriented uh, investment um, process. And therefore, it gets the boot right out. Doesn't matter if it's been in for a day or twelve years. Um, the same process is, you know, occurs. So again, we focus on cycle to date. I think that's the biggest takeaway. Uh, Hedgeye is hands down one of the best cycle to date investors I've ever seen. And I, you know, if you're putting in some some of the work and doing some of the um, the weekly things, you don't have to be bolted to this chair every day. But if you're doing a lot of the weekend weekly things in terms of reviewing the ETF Pro kind of you know risk ranges, what's making a higher low, what's making a lower high, um, you know how is that even though it's a bullish signal, how you know what signals making higher highs and higher lows? Those are the ones you really want to add to at the bottom of the range because they have the best signal strength, right? Something that's making a higher low and a higher high inside of the trend signal that means it has a higher probability that even if it goes to the bottom in the range is going to be higher than where it was last week. And same thing, if it's a higher high, then that means it has a higher probability of, of making new highs. And, and you know the best signals, the best assets are the ones that are making new one month and three month highs in a bullish trend, making higher highs and higher lows within the risk range. And on up days, you're seeing increasing volume, decreasing volatility, and Similarly, on down days, you're seeing down price on low volume and and basically sorry, and low volatility. Don't forget to check out Hedgeye.com to get more actionable investing insights from our team of more than 40 research analysts. And check us out on Twitter at our handle, at Hedgeye. This presentation is informational only. None of the information contained herein constitutes an offer to sell or a solicitation of an offer to buy any security or investment vehicle, nor does it constitute investment recommendation or legal tax accounting or investment advice by Hedgeye or any of its employees, officers, agents, or guests. This information is presented without regard for individual investment preferences or risk parameters and is general, non-tailored, non-specific information. This content is based on information from Sources believed to be reliable. Hedge is not responsible for errors, inaccuracies, or omissions of information. The opinions and conclusions contained in this report are those of the individual expressing those opinions and conclusions and are intended solely for the use of Hedge subscribers and the authorized recipients of the content. All investments entail a certain degree of risk, and financial instrument prices can fluctuate based on several factors, including those not considered in the preparation of the content. Consult your financial professional before investing. The information contained herein is protected by United States and foreign copyright laws and is intended solely for the use of its authorized recipient. Access must be provided directly by Hedge Redistribution or republication is strictly prohibited. For more detail, please refer to the Terms of Service at hedgeye.com slash Terms of Service.